0: if it's a bad company you can shut it down if it's a great company you want to do it but if it's an okay company you are stuck i've had these periods of time when i used to be really depressed about the price but then i truly believe in the promise of blockchain so, entrepreneurs should not be gamblers. Hi there, I'm Vignesh Sundaresan. I call myself a protocol architect. And I'm working on this thing called Lendroid right now. It's a decentralized application. I'm in the blockchain space. I've been in the blockchain space now for around four years. This is my third startup in the blockchain space itself. And what do you mean by block
1: space for people who don't know?
0: The blockchain, right? So blockchain is basically a new technology that's coming up now. We all know about how machine learning or AI can change the world. There are certain times and certain technologies that disrupt how we do things in the world like the internet like ai in the same way blockchain is something that's that is going to be disruptive because it's on top of the internet it's on top of the internet and it's a value chain so right now value is bound to a country and blockchain is basically going to have a network of value across the whole world so we get to think one world, as the world has one, and we can create startups around that. And that's what is interesting about blockchain.
1: Let's just pretend, because I mean, I'm on your website. I'm trying to learn more about it as we talk, because I don't have a background in technology for, and someone who doesn't. If you had to explain it to my mom, you know, mm-hmm. even simpler, because I know you tried doing that. Is, is there even a simpler way to compare it or understand it?
0: So like practically speaking, blockchain will look like you using a bank, right? So there is a bank and the bank might have a mobile app and uh, you just open your mobile app, you do your transactions, right? What's happening in the back background is the bank is handling everything for you. Uh, they're, they're transferring money, they're transferring balances, they're maintaining your money, etc. With blockchain, it's something similar, but instead of the bank, one single party working for us behind. This specific job is decentralized. It's given to a lot of people. So what happens is the power, the political power does not get accumulated in one one place. So when we say, think about banks, we always say it's too big to fail. And when the crash happened, it, it was because the power got accumulated in one place. The idea of blockchain is to replicate the banking network, but not to let the power be accumulated with one entity or one corporation. That's the idea.
1: And so does that have anything to do with- with like Bitcoin or
0: were you talking about the same type of thing? So uh, when I say blockchain it's basically uh, the technology that that is behind Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is one of the products uh, that uses the blockchain technology and there are a lot more currencies uh, that, that use the blockchain technology very similar to Bitcoin and do a lot more things also.
1: So it would, be, would Bitcoin be the biggest one?
0: Uh, for now, it is the biggest. It was the first and, uh, it did something very interesting where it showed that it can, it can work and bitcoin has been around for now around 10 years nine years now it's a long time in this space uh if you think about it internet is just 25 years old right like and we cannot think about a world without the internet now so it's a long time for Bitcoin in for bitcoin to have existed and there it is the largest in terms of the value and the value is stored on the network But there are a lot of other networks which are competing for the space now. Could you give us an idea of how you even got into this? Sure. So when I started... I used to do anything I wanted like I was an entrepreneur more of a hacker a life hacker right like I just wanted to come out of like I, I was not born into a rich family I was I was probably an ordinary middle class student I was born in India and my opportunities were quite limited right so the society had a plan for me, so to be frank right so they would say okay go engineering go go have a stable job and that's your life right but i didn't like that i i saw that i had to grow out of it and the only way i could do that was to be an entrepreneur so i used to try out everything i could see i i if i see an idea like i was not a coder i, w- I was just a ordinary person and then i found out okay if you code you can put up a website and and a website people can use it and you could make money out of it right so that's how i started Um Uh, That was my initial period of, uh, say, around 2008, 2009 types, 10 years ago. And slowly, I found out that, okay, there is this whole uh, stock market where people make money on. And I was excited about it. So one day, what happened was, I remember vaguely, in 2012, I was on a stock market, and I saw that the same stock is listed on another stock market, but the price had a small difference. So I was thinking, why could, could I not arbitrage between these stock markets? And I on Google, I just typed, can I code this? And can I make banks like program my money? to be deposited from one exchange to another? And the answer was Bitcoin, which was interesting because Bitcoin could not do that. But when I typed the keywords programmable money, Bitcoin came up, right? So that's how I discovered Bitcoin because Bitcoin was programmable money. And then I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. And I had no idea it's going to be huge or or anything. I just knew it, it is new, so I should be working on it. That's all I knew, right? So that is how I got into Bitcoin.
1: And that, so that was what, 2008 you're saying-ish?
0: Uh, this was uh, like I found out about Bitcoins in 2012.
1: Well, why don't we take it back to um, you said you were born in India. Can you tell us kind of how you and where you're located today?
0: Yeah. So now, like, I live in two cities. One of them is uh, Ottawa in Canada, right? And I also live in Chennai in India. Uh, it's, it's from the southern part of India. Most of like because most of my childhood, most of I did my high school here. So I'm very close to Chennai, but I had to leave Chennai in order to pursue opportunities, right? But I always wanted to come back. And I'm still try. That's, that's me.
1: where do you go to? Did you do high school over there? When did you come over to the States at first?
0: So before moving to Canada, I ended up in Dubai for a period of five years because it's just easier to move from India to Dubai than to Canada, like proximity or immigration rules, right? So I moved to Dubai. I lived there for five years, did my uh, degree there. I studied engineering, mechanical engineering, which has nothing to do with my life right now but that's what I studied because all Indians are supposed to do that. I don't know. So that was a period of time and I learned a lot in Dubai. But then after Dubai, okay, I had to work on Bitcoins. Back then, India, in India, not a lot of people knew about it. A lot of, when I talked to someone, they would be like, what do you mean? Is it like a fantasy stock market? Like, are you wasting your time on this kind of advice I was getting? So I thought, okay, I should move to a place where this makes more sense so that I can get a network around it so that I can have support system and i chose canada and i just moved there
1: it's really insightful so as soon as you said you were setting up the patreon it was just like yeah i'll help this guy you know i take a lot of value from it you know it's as simple as that yeah i really appreciate that man well i was gonna say have you checked out our newest patreon episode yeah i was just like oh well i'm in the car i'll just listen to it whatever but i'm not getting anything out of this and then you're like wow i'm not that naive or anything but it really did open your eyes was it easier to get into the U.S.? I mean, did you ever think about the U.S. or no?
0: One thing was when I wanted to move out of India, I already was working on on a crypto project. It was something to do with Bitcoins. It was an exchange where... You can come and exchange a crypto for another, but the problem was I had this running, and I was uh, kind of skeptical about the U.S. The U.S. immigration laws are also very hard because you need to come there as a student, right? And there is this H-1B. The whole thing is not very good for an entrepreneur, immigrant entrepreneur, I mean. But in Canada, it was better because I can go in as a student, but I get to be there for five years. In the U.S., I would have only gotten a time of say three years. If I didn't succeed, I would have been kicked out, and and more importantly i cannot just immigrate and start a company in the u.s that's hard in canada it was much easier that's why i chose canada
1: when you went there you went to get your master's and you're yes. talking about working on bitcoin then can you kind of take you through the entrepreneurial story sure sure
0: sure so when i this is kind of a funny story because i was working on a project with, which was an exchange meaning that it looks like a place where you can deposit your bitcoin and if you want some other coin as i was telling about blockchain there are multiple of these coins not just bitcoin so my exchange allowed you to buy other coins with Bitcoin and vice versa. So this is what I was doing while in India. Then I went to Canada. And in Canada, I was a master's student. I was enrolled in an entrepreneurship program. So they had these VC like a meeting, so I could go talk to people and present my ideas. So what happened was I just went in front of them and and started speaking about what I was doing. One thing was they were not very aware of something like this back in 2013. But the other part was they started questioning me. They they asked me a question. I still remember, what's your AML policy? And I was stunned and and I asked them, what is AML policy? Because I had no idea, right? I had no idea of the law. I had no idea that there was something called the anti-money laundering policy. Because while I started this in India, I, I I just wanted to get this done. Like, I didn't have the luxury to research, understand, have 10 advisors, advise me through the process. So the ignorant, like, I would say the lack of knowledge of law, like, put me on a huge backseat when I came to Canada. Because everyone around me was aware of the law. Like, people are thinking about anti-money laundering before they were starting an exchange. But I did not. I had a product running. So what they made me, what they advised me to do was to shut it down and so what happened was i found someone who wanted to take over my startup and i had to let it go so that was a very very sad moment because i had no idea about the law and i could not keep it running because it could run into problems so that i had to shut it down say three months after i got to canada but the good part is because i got to canada and because there were other people also working on blockchain we all came together and i said and like i have no knowledge of the law I don't understand how procedures, policies work, but I know how to code. I know Bitcoin. I know how Bitcoin works. So we formed a team. And that's how I started working on BitAccess, which was my startup. And I'm more proud of, a lot more proud of BitAccess because it was a company. We had a proper structure. It was in Canada. We had a beautiful team on Office. It was seed funded. We went through Y Combinator. Like the whole thing was a beautiful narrative. That happened after that.
1: Were you doing BitAccess while you were... Join your masters as well.
0: Yes, it, I was a very bad student because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's why I got to Canada, but I had to be a master student, or I will not get my visa. I used to st- uh, go to my go to school at around 6 p.m., so it was a evening school. So six to nine was my school hours, and I used to work from say eight in the morning to five in the evening. It was a decent balance. I got uh, good advice from my professors. Like I'm really happy with what the course did to me and the kind of people it got me in touch with. But I had no other choice, to be frank, yeah.
1: Why don't you tell us about founding BitAccess? How many co-founders did we have? Sure. And about Y Combinator and getting into that?
0: BitAccess was, we had four co-founders when we started, all from different backgrounds. I was more of a coder. There was... Uh, one guy who was hardware and he understood how to make kiosks. and there was a person who was working on sales and another person who understood law, policies, management and and things I had no idea of. So it was a nice team because we complimented each other and we just started off. we just sat down, we were sitting in. Uh, I think in the basement of my co-founder and we just started coding the ATM machine. So we wanted to make this ATM machine like the ATMs you find, but that will work with Bitcoin. So you come to the machine, you put in your fiat and you, you will fiat meaning US dollars and you will get Bitcoin. And if you deposit Bitcoins, you will get US dollars. That was the whole idea. Four
1: founders total. Was it 25, 25,
0: 25, 25? Yes. Yes. We started with a equal proportion. Okay, good.
1: And with that, can you talk uh, about when you did get into Y Combinator, how that worked out?
0: Sure. I was not the best person to understand how the ecosystem was in Canada or the US. My founder, his name is Mo, and he was the one who knew about these things. He knew, okay, like if you can get into Y Combinator, that'll be huge. So he was a guy who applied to Y Combinator. And Y Combinator in 2013 were thinking about Bitcoins. They wanted to support a few Bitcoin companies because they wanted to see where it's going to go. I'm not sure if they invested in a lot of other Bitcoin companies after that, but our batch had around six companies that were Bitcoin. We already were working on a product. We had a product to show them. So we we made a small video of how our product works. We filled out the whole application that they put out. I think it, it was a few pages and then we sent it out to them. They mailed us saying, okay, you are selected for an interview and it's, it's an all paid trip to Mountain View. That's a good thing to take. So we all went there. We met Justin Can, Gary Tan, and we spoke about our company. They really liked the idea. Like, again, we didn't know where we were going. It was something we wanted to start and we were all passionate about it. And and they really liked that. And we were not doing it for the sake of, say, like being an entrepreneur or we didn't Apply just so that we can get into Y Combinator. We had wanted this. We were really passionate about it. They were happy to support us, and so they called us the same day and said that you are in. So we were really happy, and so we were part of the Y Combinator summer 2014 batch. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, and you're saying is
0: Mountain View where's that? Uh, Mountain View, California. It is 50 miles from San Francisco, I think. So
1: can you tell us about the transition? Did you have to move down there? And tell us about your time
0: there. And sure. So Y Y Combinator is a. I would not call it an incubator because usually incubators have office space. You go there, you work there, and the Y Combinator model is a little different. You are not forced to come to a spot or stay somewhere. They let you be yourself. So what they do is they fund you with the initial amount. Uh, when we were going into Y Combinator, it was around hundred and twenty thousand dollars. They will fund your company with that, and they will take a stake of say seven percentage, around. Around 7% is what they will take from your company. And they will let you either stay in Mountain View. It's your own choice. If you move, they don't give you office space. You have to find one around Mountain View. So what we did was we took a house and we just had a hacker house. All our founders stayed in one place. This was during the summer of 2014. Y Combinator runs for three months. What Y Combinator entitles is you go there only on Tuesdays for something called the dinner they will usually invite someone interesting from the industry, a celebrity. When I was there, we had Mark Zuckerberg one Tuesday, Peter Thiel one Tuesday, Max Levchin one Tuesday. So these are the kind of people who would come for the dinner. We will have food and they would share their experiences. Usually it's confidential. So what they do is they give us some extra information about what they really feel and they cannot speak out on public media. We get a good grasp of what they feel and what their thesis is about the world. And it helps a lot. Plus, we also get uh, something called the office hours. So we can talk to any of the partners at Y Combinator and they would give us, say, half an hour. We would have to come there, say, I got office hours with Paul Graham at, say, 12 o'clock. So I only come to Y Combinator at 1145. I talk to him and I go back to my house. So something like. That.
1: All right. So, were you still planning on launching the ATM with the company, or uh, what did it end up becoming after Y Combinator and during it, and then let's l- lead into what you're doing today?
0: Sure. Bit Access itself. We worked on the ATMs for uh, around two years after Y Combinator. Also, we kept working on it, but we knew that it was a self-defeating project or a product since we started, because if Bitcoin is digital, why do we need a physical machine? That was the question that kept coming back, but it had its own niche. So people who had no idea of Bitcoins were first getting introduced to Bitcoin through our machines. So it became more of a marketing educational tool than a utility tool. That was there, but there was not a lot of money in it. So we had to pivot. We pivoted into selling, say, Bitcoins through any means we can. We started selling Bitcoins in a grocery store across U.S. You could go anywhere into a grocery store, pay using your credit card, and they would give you a code. You would have to enter it on your app or the website we provide, and you get some Bitcoin. We started thinking about how we can make access to Bitcoins easier, and that was the company. At that time was when I started discovering about something called Ethereum. Ethereum is basically another currency like Bitcoin. It has its own blockchain. It's very similar to Bitcoin, but it's a little more advanced than Bitcoin. So what you can do with Ethereum is basically you can program these transactions. So you can write code and program a transaction. So if you want to pay someone, you can say, oh, pay him after 30 days, right? It's as simple as that To Very complicated code. I was beginning to think, okay, this is going to be very interesting in the future, and I slowly wanted to move to that. But But again, BitAccess is a company. It's an operational company. We cannot just work on whatever we want. So what ended up happening was I thought, okay, Ethereum is very important to me and I need to work on it. So I left the company last December and I've started working on this thing called Lendroid which is my current startup.
1: could you tell us about leaving the company was that hard did you have to give back equity could you just walk us through that
0: I think it was a hard and easy the hard part was it is a very emotional time like you build something it's your baby and to leave it it's really hard when I sleep I still think sometimes think about Bitaxis and the time we spend together and everything it's like a marriage right it's hard and it took a huge emotional toll on me that is on the other side but I would say it was easier on the legal side because we had a nice agreement, right? So when we started the company, we didn't just give 25% to every founder, but it was vested over five years. You get five percentage for every year you work at the company. What happened was at the time I wanted to leave, I was around the three-year mark. So I took my three-year equity. The two-year equity went back to the company and the company is still beautifully operated. And that my equity that I gave back is being used to hire someone else so that the company can succeed further. So I think it, it was much, much, much easier than if I just had all the equity and it would have been bad. You're talking about emotional. What's so hard for you? What I would say is when you start working on an idea, like you believe in that idea. You didn't just start working on the idea because someone told you you were passionate about it or you didn't get into working on it for a couple of years. But when you realize that, OK, this might not work or I think this is the way we are going and it's already a company, like you make a product. This is what a lot of I heard. It, I heard this quote from somewhere who said, if it's a bad company, you can shut it down. If it's a great company, you want to do it. But if it's an OK company, you are stuck. What happens is you cannot really stop doing your thing because it's not failed, but it's not excellent either because there is timing, there is market. You might be passionate about something, but what if the market, there is no market for it. We get stuck there. It was an average business. So I thought, okay, let me take some time out of working on Bitcoin, of working on ATMs and work on something. That's going to be huge again in the future. Then I moved on to Ethereum. So that's how I did it.
1: Did you have any money saved up? And did you make any actual money when you're at BitAccess? Because you're jumping to another startup that...
0: Oh, yeah. I think that's a real... The financial question is the most... How do I say? Like, it's the most difficult question because when we started the company, we had no money. So for the first whole year, no one of us took any salaries. I was just living out because I was a student. I had some, like the money I was spending for school, I was also using it to live. So it was not a great life. Obviously it was a student life and I was making this company also. Second year when we had some funding from our angels and from Y Combinator, we had some money, but it was, we raised around a million dollars, but we wanted to keep it so that we, we didn't just want to burn it out, right? So we had very minimum salaries for us. I used to get paid the least, like, We founders used to get paid the least in the whole of our company. We paid our employees really well, but we kept our salaries to the minimum. So I was just getting paid around the minimum wage part for the next two years. When I ended up leaving BitAxis, all I had was no money that I made from BitAxis plus some stock, which is not liquid. I could not sell it back. I did not sell it to anyone. So actually, I didn't have any money from BitAxis, which is really sad. Now, if BitAxis succeeds, I make some money. But if it fails, my three-year effort will not pay off. But that's the risk we took. That's okay. But the interesting part is during, uh, say, around 2014, when I got into the industry, I started buying some Bitcoins for myself too. I saved up some Bitcoins. I participated in the crowd sale of Ethereum and that was my savings. So my savings were all on crypto, all as Bitcoin or Ethereum. So when I came out of Bitaxis, that's the money I had. And now that's the money that's funding my next venture.
1: So with Patreon, I heard it many times because you have that many episodes of sign up. So that's always in the back of mind. But then I checked it out a few times and I was like, do I really want to do this? So I'll push it off a little bit. And then you posted your goal achievement of 69 Patreon members. And I was like, you know, what, what better time than now? Originally, I was going to go for the lower one the $9 a month. But one, I want to have the conversation with you. But two, I always find that anytime I cheap out, I always find that I want to return it and upgrade to what I really, really wanted. So that's why I'm paying the higher one, if that makes sense. But it was just constantly pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I would just like fuck it. I already listened to all of them. So why not? You started this venture slowly discussing in the beginning. I guess you're still in Ottawa today, right now? I know you said you travel back and forth. But as of today, you're in Ottawa.
0: Uh, right now, I'm in Chennai.
1: Well, why don't you tell us when you started Lendroid? Do we, are you the only founder? Do you have other people who work with you? How, how's that work out?
0: Uh, Lendroid is more of a... It, new experiment for me. As I told you, like Bitaccess was a corporation. It had shareholders. It had, had a proper structure under the Canadian uh, laws. But Lendroid is more of a blockchain company, meaning that we can now start companies on the blockchain. We can raise money on the blockchain. We can have shareholders on the blockchain. I can pay people on the blockchain. And that's what is very interesting now to me. I can give you a couple of names through which I'm working on. So there is one company called Aragon. A-R-A-G-O-N dot one, who helps you set up a company completely on the blockchain. We understand the trend now that the employees, the the, we are moving from an employee model more into a contractor model. The biggest taxi company in the world does not have any taxi drivers or any cabs, Uber. So that we are moving into that world where we are all going to be contractors. With this blockchain technology underlying my next company, the idea is I am the first founder. But everyone who's working on this company, I have around six people working with me on this company right now. We are all paid through the blockchain. So we all have a blockchain-based account. So we will have an Ethereum account. And I will go to my investors and ask them to invest in ethereum so we hold the ethereum in the blockchain and then when we want to get paid we just get paid in ethereum for investing in our company we create our own currency it would be called lendroid support tokens and we issue that to our investors their investment is also liquid and goes on from there that's what is interesting about this new company it's not a traditional corporation but it's it's on the blockchain
1: are you trying to help other companies become more like Lendroid then? I think we understand the whole concept, but how are you going to make money as a company?
0: As a company, what happens is our product is going to be focused on a niche. The niche is going to be people who already hold crypto assets. So what my company does, as the name suggests, it's a lending company. If you want a mortgage against your house, you go to the bank. The bank puts a lien. On your house and then gives you some money. In the same way, what Lendroid does is that you can go on the blockchain with your Ethereum or Bitcoin or some other digital asset you own. And then you can like Lendroid will put a lien on it and then give you some funds so that you can get liquidity while you still have the option to get back your asset. So that is the idea of Lendroid. So it's a niche product that does lending for digital assets. What are some examples of digital assets? Sure. So today we are not exposed to a lot of digital assets. We are not used to thinking about digital assets. When we think about asset, we think about a car, we think about a house, we think about property, a land, things like this. But digitally speaking, most of the things are being offered as services like your Facebook profile. Or or some blog post or a video you made or say like something you created on the internet does not become your own asset. So we have not used to that narrative at all. Now with things changing, for example, today there is this thing called Bitcoin on the internet, which was the first digital asset. Digital asset because you own it, you cannot replicate it. When you give it to someone, you have given it to someone, you cannot just take it back. So you can enforce rules around an asset, and you don't need a government to enforce these rules it's a digital asset and for the first time we discovered oh we can do this with other things also so now people are working on there are a lot of projects on the blockchain that are working to make your videos on the internet your own asset so imagine this tomorrow you made a video for example this whole podcast you make this podcast but you don't think about your own podcast as your asset how will it be imagine a situation where you can take your whole podcast and say Lendroid can have a lien against it and say, give you some money so that you can use it for your next podcast. In the meantime, all the fund flows coming through the podcast would go to Lendroid or it can be a digital agreement. These things are going to happen in the future. And it's not just Bitcoin, but there are going to be so many digital assets. And probably this is just my prediction or my thesis. Our digital assets are going to be more valuable than our physical assets. That's just my prediction.
1: How do you go out and do you have customers right now? And I understand the concept and I think that was a perfect example. So so I appreciate that. But I'm just trying to think for you, Mm -hmm. how do you start making money right now? Or is it something that you're looking at in long haul? Because you've only been at it for how long have you been doing Lindroid?
0: I've been doing it for eight months Yeah. One thing is it's for the long haul and long haul meaning probably at least three years. And because this is going to be a project which will have like it will slowly blossom. That's the word I want to use because it also has this dependency of digital assets being more prevalent, more popular and a lot more digital assets need to exist before this product can be really useful. What I'm doing right now is slowly going with the industry, slowly going with the trend, serving the industry if there are any digital asset. Once I identify a digital asset, I call the person who created the asset or who people who are managing this asset and then ask them or, or tell them that we have this product called Android and ask them to introduce our product to their customers. There is this new currency, cryptocurrency that is coming up, that is a digital asset. So we try to approach their community saying that, oh, the whole community we have, have this product Landroid, Can you try us out and see if you want any new features? We approach them not with the business in mind, but to figure out if there is really a problem that we are solving for them. And if we are, we will start making money in a couple of years.
1: And how do you find those people that own or ma- manage those digital assets
0: that you approach? Yeah. So usually, I, we stick to this industry. The whole industry is not very huge. So that's our advantage. We know all the founders are popular on Twitter. You can go to conferences and meet them personally. There are also this Slack community. So every cryptocurrency has its own Slack community. So what happens, there are 3,000 members It's a forum, basically. 3,000 members or 4,000 members in each cryptocurrency community. We just try to join their community and understand what their asset does and try to offer something that might make sense for them. So we join these communities one by one, separately.
1: And uh, the people that are working for you now, you said you you have about six. And I know, I guess personally, you said you had saved up money from putting Mm -hmm. your money in Bitcoin. But are you paying them? Do you have any investor money right now? I'm just trying to think how you float a company.
0: Sure. Like because of my previous company, I met a few people who trust to work with me and that they will know that if I work on something that will go somewhere that I'm using the trust I've built and to make sure that I can have a runway till I go for the fundraising. There is going to be a fundraising event with Landroid. Probably we'll do it around October. Before that, what I've told people is that, okay, this is our situation. I can pay you in shares of our company or if someone is going to be like, okay, I at least need $2,000 to survive, we will come to an agreement. We'll say, okay, I pay you $2,000, but most of the things I pay is, is shares of our company.
1: And with those people and the way you're thinking, I mean, is it hard to think that far in the future, a few years that you know, you're know you hoping that it'll get big mm-hmm. enough where it starts paying off? Because sometimes it's hard to even imagine a week out as far as yes. getting money and getting <laughs> excited, but it seems like it might be draining if you're you know not oh, yeah. really having that income coming in
0: and if you're looking that far down down the road. That's true it is really hard if you don't see like it is hard if you don't see your product working and it is harder if you see your product working and you're not making any money out of it like these two problems kept coming like in my previous companies kept coming so in this product what has happened is the money i make will linearly scale with how useful my product is that's a good thing if say there is million dollars worth of loans given out i would make say one percent of that if there is ten million dollars i will make still make one percent out of it that. I like those numbers. That's good enough. And when I go to my investors, I'm going to tell them, okay, give me a runway for two years. And that's all I would need. If this digital asset market is successful, I base my thesis on the fact that on the predicate that digital assets will be popular. If that fails, my startup fails, and I'm okay accepting defeat there, right? But if it's successful, and I'm not the company which is lending, I will feel really sad, that's the thing.
1: What do you see as the most likely digital asset that you could lend against if you're looking down
0: the road? One of the things that was really interesting in the recent times was we have domain names. Domain name, if you think about it, is a digital asset. Say, google.com is very, very, very valuable. There are so many domain names and so many websites and this basic digital asset is not considered a digital asset today because the system on which the domain names are issued are a very centralized system. So there is ICANN, there are registrars like GoDaddy, which are all centralized companies. There are now companies building the equal equivalent of the domain naming system on the blockchain. There is going to be domain names issued on the blockchain. When you own this domain name, you own it. You don't own it. You own it and you control it wholly. The first things we started thinking about lending against was these domain names. So there are already a few domain names that have been issued on the blockchain and we can easily hold control of them. We can make sure that There is no funny businesses like someone claiming that, oh, we didn't really give them or something because the enforcement is autonomous. We get to hold their collateral properly and then we lend some Ethereum or any other money they are requesting. And then we do the whole lending process. The first asset would be the domain names, but issued on the blockchain. Is that
1: going to be your number one target? And if so, like I said, what's going to do you, are you just going to think you solely focus on that? Cause like I said, I think you gave some great examples at first, but you know, you got to focus on eventually on making the money.
0: Yes. We feel like the place we are starting with domain names on the blockchain is a huge area. Already there are around I think 150,000 there are I think there is around 100 million dollars worth of Ethereum which was spent on acquiring various domain names. That would be my first target and we could make decent revenues if we can pull out a product that works for them. That will be my focus and I think in the future if that market expands we expand with them or I will start discovering a lot more other digital assets that come up. Do you have any other competition out there right now?
1: And you said, I mean, I don't know if they're targeting differently or if you know
0: them. That's the good part. Usually when I do a company because of the situation and the kind of privileges I hold in my life, I choose a company where I don't have any competition because (laughs) if I did, I might not be able to do the the first leg would be really hard for me because of the support network I have. This specific Landroid company does not have any competition right now, which makes it a great company. But once people see it working, I will have a lot of competition, but then I will have the first-mover advantage. must be
1: harder for you at first. A lot of it's education, (laughs) right?
0: Oh, huge, huge amount of education. I was working with my software engineer last week. We worked for seven days, and we thought, okay, what work did we get done? And if you look at the code, we just added four lines of code. So, which is funny because that is less than a line of code for a day. But the reality is we had to understand some other system. If you want to build something on top of the traffic signal systems of a country, you need to understand that system more than understanding syntax of a language you want to work on. That takes a lot of time. And understanding these networks and how that digital asset works takes a really, really huge time.
1: Well, let's talk about you're talking about working seven days a week. How about that work-life balance? And where
0: is it at (laughs) right now? (laughs) (laughs) so I think I burn out a lot I think I should not. And uh, (laughs) But the problem is, I think this happens to every entrepreneur. We get too passionate about something. That's a good part of going to a job. They kick you out after some time, or at least on the weekends, you don't get to work. But for us, most of the time, is it's at least in my brain all the time. I'm thinking, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, oh, what if this is a digital asset? (laughs) Or if someone approaches me, they start talking about Bitcoin or blockchain, and it does not feel like work, but it takes some toll on me. I don't think I might have a life because people around me want to talk about Bitcoins. They're excited and it's a bull market. So that's the worst part where at least when the price goes down, probably I will get some break because no one will want to talk about it then. But right now it's seven days and, and I either think about it, work on it or talk about it all the time.
1: Appreciate you doing the call here. Yeah. Favorite podcast by far. I love it. Oh yeah? what is that?
0: So I graduated in 2017 from Michigan, I heard that shout out the other day. That was pretty cool. Basically, two months after I graduated, I started listening to the podcast, loved it. I think there were maybe 30 episodes or something out by that
1: point. And I consider myself to be pretty entrepreneurial. Started a business last
0: year, this helped a ton. And it's hard, I think, to find entrepreneurs. I was just looking for entrepreneurial meetups. And I think, wow, this is more of an awesome opportunity to talk with other entrepreneurs the value It's. I mean it's insane like people make these types of entrepreneurial insight things of thousands of dollars this is 12 per month but 12 per month is like nothing
1: wasn't there a point in time where bitcoin was pretty far down and yeah can you talk about that and did you think that hey there might not be a future with it
0: I think someone in Y Combinator called me the most stupid, smartest guy I've ever met or something. It was a oxymoron to like believe in Bitcoin back then. So I'm talking about 2013 when I decided, okay, I will not hold any other asset. I will not hold any extra money. I will not hold any shares. I will just live on Bitcoin. I did this for, I still do that in a way. I have a couple of other assets, but most of my net worth is in just crypto. How does it feel when the price goes up? Is that okay? I'm now rich. But when it drops down, you have to go through the, go through the emotions. It's dropping down. You look at the price every day. Actually, what happens is some time ago, it used to affect my work. I used to feel like a gambler more than a value creator, which I hate because entrepreneurs should not be gamblers. That's totally something different. We need to create value, not find an arbitrage and capture value that's not us we have to create something and that's what feels really good but because of the price movements i've had these periods of time when i used to be really depressed about the price but then after a couple of bubbles i've learned that's a passive thing i truly believe in the promise of blockchain What I really think is the world has seen blockchain and the world cannot go back. We need blockchain. It might not be Bitcoin. It might not be Ethereum. It might be something else. But there will be something around. And that's why I really love the industry and the price might go up or go down. I'm going to have a lot of my net worth in bitcoin. Talking about the
1: co-workers, are they all live with in your area either in Canada or India and can you talk
0: about working with them and managing them? Sure. That's another part of having a blockchain company. The first thing is we are we all work like contractors to a smart contract that is paying us. Not it's even me, even though I have a company and I'm the president and head of the foundation, I also get paid like a contractor and we don't really stay together. Most of our work is over the Internet. So we use GitHub primarily to communicate because we would communicate with a code commit or a pull request or a bug report, etc. And we talk over Slack I think without Slack, a lot of things we are doing will not be possible. And once in a while, we get over Hangouts and do face-to-face. But that's it. I've not seen two of my employees since I started my company. Two of my coworkers have. I've not seen them. I've not met them. It's all been online. I would say because one thing I've always seen coming back to me is the lack of knowledge of law, right? I think when people go to school or read about something, they constrain themselves to things they want to work on. But what you should understand is you live in a society and there are things you don't want to read about, you don't want to learn about, but they are going to affect your life. Because I'm a coder, I, I always think, okay, Python is all I want to know. But then when I start a company, there are all these laws around me, which I should understand because my startup is in, works in a society. In the same way, when I do LendRoyal, On the blockchain, there are rules there. There are laws there that I should understand. Ignorance of law is really not an excuse. So I would say for all entrepreneurs, they should take a preliminary course in law or corporate law to understand how to. Because this really gets political with your co-founders. Because if some of one of your co-founders knows more law than you. They might not do it intentionally, but they are at an advantage. I learned this the hard way. I will never go through the, uh, go through a startup without knowing law because lawyers can help, but they only help you because they're getting paid. You can help yourself by knowing law and that's very important.
1: No, I appreciate the advice for those who are listening. And is there anything else in closing that you would want to tell entrepreneurs or think about starting their own companies?
0: Sure. I think to sum up, I think that we are in this world and we are moving towards a more, individualistic work style entrepreneurship contracting for jobs or for everything is has the same theme it is mobility it is expression i want to express my creativity as a product it is experiences i want to travel the world and all these things come and fall in place on blockchain so what i would recommend readers is to research a little bit more about blockchains understand what kind of world it is creating I'm not asking them to fall. I'm not asking you to fall the price. I'm not asking you to invest because it's the price is going to go up. That's not what I want. I would recommend entrepreneurs to understand what blockchains are doing to companies, what blockchains are doing to how we are going to cooperate in the future, collaborate in the future. If you look at Aragon, if you look at companies like there's a company in Singapore called Autonomous, O-T-O-N-O-M-O-S. It's a very simple company. Right now, if you go on the website, within two hours, you can get a company set up in one of the seven countries they offer. That's really powerful. I can sit in India and start a company in Singapore. That's a very interesting prospect for me because we are not bound by just our countries anymore. And that's a huge thing. And I would ask the entrepreneurs to think not just their country, but the whole world as one place and go from there.
1: Like I said, Noah, thank you for all the advice. I think it was really great. If someone want to just reach out and say thank you, what's the best way for them to contact?
0: My mail ID would be vignesh at lendroid.com. I'm also quite active on Twitter at V-I-G-S-U-N, Vickson. So those will be the method.
1: We'll have those in the show notes. So, well, thank you for coming on
0: and uh, sharing your story. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
1: If you think this episode could help inspire a friend or family member then please pass it on flash forward to 2009 and i'm back in the golf business as a club pro and i get a message on my myspace page from a 14 year old kid in mexico claiming that i was his father you know he says i impregnated his mom in the champagne room at a club in cozumel on new year's eve in 1998 and i immediately called bullshit because i remember that night vividly and there were at least five other guys with me uh, that were also prime candidates so i have to go down there as part of a paternity hearing and the night before i have to testify so if you want to hear more interesting stories just like this preview well become a patreon member today you know you're missing out just check the link in your episode description below to join the club or go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash patreon thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you in the membership forum